This is the second Memorial Day weekend of the pandemic. Things are looking up. And I think it's a good time to pause again and be with all that has been. In thinking about Memorial Day and reading the definition of memorial as something intended to honor the memory of a person or event, I wondered what shapes that might take at the current time in our services, like the one we offered earlier this month, and also in our daily lives. As much as we have been surrounded by the reality of death, it is easy to lose the honoring part in the statistics. It is easy to run from the reality of it in the rush to return to normal. It is easy to forget what, at our best, we know we should remember. So when I hear people say we are coming out of this now, we can see the end of this. We will come back better than ever. I want to ask, who are we? And listen, I understand and appreciate that this is meant to be an inspirational message of hope. I do. But I cannot ignore what is left unsaid, what such a statement is hiding. It is hiding the essential reality that we will not get through this altogether. We already haven't gotten through it altogether. We have lost nearly 600,000 people in this country and almost 3.5 million worldwide. And though the spread of the virus is slowing here with case numbers dropping precipitously, which is wonderful news, other parts of the world continue to suffer and individuals in this country continue to suffer and more people will undoubtedly die from this virus. That is not being negative. That is just being real. It is not meant to be a political statement. It is not an invitation to compare the numbers of deaths to other pandemics or other countries or other causes of death. It is simply to say that people have died and that on this Memorial Day, we should not seek to hide or to hide from that reality. Each individual, each person was living a story and was part of a larger story, the story of we, the wider we, the we of those who gather and those who are gone. Remember us, say the young soldiers. Remember us, say the nursing home residents and the health professionals and the people who engaged in reckless behavior and the people who were safe and did everything right and so many others in so many different situations who caught the virus and died. Remember us. It is not being negative or driving a political point or inviting comparison of death tolls it is to say that we dismiss the reality of these deaths and of the reality 
of dying at risk of our own humanity. It is to say that we cannot afford to forget to remember. And on this Memorial Day, it is worth remembering not only those things we are reminded to remember, those things we feel we should remember, but all of our memories. And more generally, that fascinating, frustrating, intricate, and mercurial process, I can't even say it, known as memory itself. Now, I realize that memory itself is impossible to tackle all at once, and certainly not within the confines of a sermon. Explorations into the biochemistry and wiring of the brain as they relate to memory are producing amazing insights and changing the metaphors we use to describe remembering. My goal today is not to seek a comprehensive definition of what memory is, but rather explore just a few examples of how memory works in our lives and how we might honor those aspects of memory in engaging the meaning of our lives. First of all, what is it that we remember? How does our memory sift through all that happens to us to select those keeper moments? What do we remember about people for instance, who have died. What is it people may remember about us? There is a disorientation that I sometimes feel at memorial services, whether I am leading one or simply in attendance, that feeling that time has stopped and I have entered a different space from that of my everyday life. Have you ever felt that? Even as a minister with a charge to grapple with matters of life and death and meaning, yet memorial services occupy a special vantage point. I realize that part of it is simply coming so close to death, to loss, to an unavoidable awareness of our own mortality. But the other piece, I believe, is recognizing that our memories of people who have died do not revolve around those areas of existence that so preoccupy us in our everyday life. Their opinion on this or that issue is no longer important. Their success in their career or any particular endeavor is no longer so important. The clothes they wore, their popularity in the community, their wealth, their stuff, their status in any given group is no longer so important. What do I remember? Who they were. How they were with me, with other people. The small acts of generosity the laughter shared, the sadness expressed, the tear in the corner of their eye, the expression of awe on their face as they witnessed a thing of beauty, fleeting moments, minuscule points in time that one might not even expect to remember, but there they are. That 
is what we remember. The disorientation we might feel at memorial services is the vertigo that follows the upending of our everyday priorities to fall in line with that which we now remember, the recognition of what is now clearly important. Would we live differently? I wonder if we lived with consciousness that we are creating memories as we move through each moment. That we are not only engaged in the process of building our future, as John Char pointed out in the chalice lighting words, we are not only creating a future, but also contributing to someone's past, someone we love, whose memory will hold us. That we are not only reaping the blessings and pain of our own existence, but sowing seeds for those who will continue after we are gone. That we are always and every day in bits and pieces along the paths of our lives, leaving a legacy. Now, I'm not asking us to be neurotic about it. I don't want us to worry about the historical record of our every action. I don't want us to feel that we're under surveillance by future generations, eager to expose our every flaw, only to hold on to our realizations of what is truly important, only to be aware of what lasts, what continues in the minds and hearts of others, what remains when our physical selves are gone. How would that consciousness affect our choices, our behaviors, our focus? How would that change how we're going to be each day? Memorial Day reminds us that the relationship with the deceased continues for the living. Through memories, we are still connected to that person we remember, and often we find that interpreting and revisioning those memories through the light of our further experience, our relationship with that person can still deepen, even though the person is not with us. The possibilities for growth have not necessarily ended. Our stories go on. Our stories weave together with others. We are part of a continuous narrative, a great, wide, intricate, mind-boggling, interdependent, interconnected story. I remember many years ago now when Hanji's mother was hospitalized for a light stroke and an apparent heart attack. She was in a rehabilitation facility, and I remember her phone calls and how she kept asking Hanji to repeat what exactly happened on the night she was taken to the hospital. It was as if hearing the details enough times from others, she could replace that missing piece of her memory, supply the missing pages of her story so that the narrative flowed smoothly from then to now. This is a common reaction, I think, when because of illness or trauma or anesthesia or some other cause, we have missing 
time, we naturally want to fill it in with a retelling of the circumstances. And through repetition, it becomes almost indistinguishable from our own memory of the event. And it speaks to a larger process, one that we sometimes forget is happening, but we are always telling ourselves the story of ourselves. And it is important to us that the narrative retain its integrity. And the wonderful thing about under, understanding our lives as story is that as long as we live, there's always possibility. Who knows what will happen in the next chapter? And not, as we are not only the main character, but also share in writing credits for the story of our lives, not only what happens to us, but what happens through us. What happens because of what we decide we will do, who we decide to forgive, where we decide to put our time and energy. And the next chapter can provide change, not only in and of itself, but depending on what happens, it can change our understanding of the whole book. You know what I mean? As we learn, understand, and appreciate more about someone, we find that even our earliest memories of that person are changed in light of our new understanding. We see that person not only as we knew them then, but as we have grown to know them. The next chapter that includes forgiveness can change our understanding of all the acrimony that has gone before. The next chapter that includes honesty can change our understanding of all the deceit that has gone before. The next chapter that includes a healing touch, someone to listen, moments of peace, can change our understanding of the pain and turmoil that has gone before. Because, let's face it, memories are not always pleasant. There are memories that burn, memories that bleed, memories that we may want to run from. There are memories of deep regret or recollections of pain inflicted by others. There are memories so painful that we seek to detach them from the rest of our lives. Soldiers in combat, victims of violence, those who've suffered childhood or domestic abuse, victims or perpetrators of brutality and terror, and deception, there is a desire by all of us to edit those parts of the story, to rewrite those passages. But we can't. We can't rewrite those chapters. We can't delete those chapters. We can't pretend they aren't part of the story but we can transform our understanding of what they mean in the context of the ongoing narrative. We can point to the promise of the next chapter. We can promise there is more to the story.
You may be going through difficult times right now. You may be in circumstances so painful that they threaten to consume your story. They threaten to spill over onto all the other pages. They threaten to destroy the chapters you so much wanted to live. We can't promise any rewrites. We can't delete past chapters or these chapters you struggle through now. We can't pretend they aren't part of the story. But we can point to the promise of the next chapter. We can promise there is more to the story. What looks to be the end may turn out to be in memory only prelude. To honor memory, we choose to live open-hearted, open-eyed in that possibility. We nurture that possibility and promise in religious community and vow to do our best to keep it alive for future generations. We understand that transformation can occur from the seemingly smallest of gestures as we intentionally explore the importance of how we're going to be with each other. We will not forget to remember, to honor memory. We lift up and celebrate those things that last beyond our lives, those things that will endure in the lives of those we touch, those things that remain. So listen. Listen. Shh. Listen. Listen.